Thank you for joining us on this episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett, where we examine current and emerging technologies through the lens of diversity and equality. Okay, hello everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stinnett. Uh, today, we're going to do sort of a, uh, I guess we call it like a holiday one, we'll call it like a Father's Day podcast uh, special and talk about sort of the importance of uh, uh, fathers when you're coming to making a career decision. And uh, I, would th- I think the same thing would apply to mothers as well. Uh, but we'll specifically talk about fathers uh, here. And I know, so when I was growing up, my dad, and he's a listener, so hey, dad. <laughs> uh, he did not directly. <laughs> awesome. Uh, he didn't directly work in technology, uh, but we had a lot of technology like around us growing up. So like, I remember one of my first technology memories was when the, uh, he worked for a newspaper company. So one of the first, uh, experiences that I had with a computer was when he had uh, like somebody from the office, they were installing the TCP IP stack on like our home PC, which sounds crazy to think of now that like you would even need someone to do that because it's so uh, baked in. But I remember when we first got the internet on our computer because of my dad's work, like it was crazy. Like the uh one of the first things they spun up was like a gopher website for a library where you got to like see this block of text and like click things you weren't really clicking but you were sort of scrolling through the text and you could click onto other things and it was uh like it was sort of mind-blowing as a kid and I still think back to that moment as probably like one of the reasons I'm in tech now is like, oh, so somebody can just like come to your house and install this thing. And, you know, they had to hook it up to the phone line and all that. And now like you have a computer in your house that's connected to, at the time it was like libraries and schools mostly, but it was, it was crazy and really like mind blowing to a, I guess I was 14 or 15 at the time. (laughs) Yeah. I think that, um, like you said earlier, it could be, uh, also, uh, 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 reference from mothers as well, but typically mothers are more nurturers. I mean, a lot of times, like, so Everett is trying to go into my career, what I have done, Mm -hmm. but I think it's because his father's a teacher and we don't pay teachers well. So if we pay teachers a decent salary, he might consider being a teacher, but uh, he is, you know, it's more lucrative in IT. It pays well, but but for for those of us uh, who are fatherless, people so we don't have a father so I wasn't raised with my birth father I had a stepfather but he wasn't really my mother my mother who raised me was much more dominant and so my mm-hmm. father dare not say do this or do the other because you know he was he might get put in time out so you know yeah say that. but um you know I I heard I've heard a lot of girls specifically talk about fathers discouraging them from STEM careers um, and a lot of that is because people assume women do not do math well. And I think that's a, a fair assessment, especially back in my generation. You know, I don't know if that's true in my son's generation. So my son is mathematically gifted. My husband is mathematically gifted. You know, you are mathematically gifted. So I know so how many smart people who know math, you know, where they assume girls, we would struggle with math, right? And, and I will say that 
I did struggle with math too. I, geometry and statistics came to me like this, you know, algebra and fractions, like what? You know, got three eighteenths of a fraction. So assume the whole is 18 and you took three parts out. But, you know, I would not have sworn to that, you know, back in the day because I wasn't really good at math. But what I really was good at and still am good at as forgetful as I am right now. And that's analytics and logic. So analyzing, you know, the linear thoughts it takes to work in technology. You know, you can have more spatial thoughts, but you know, to get, so if you're writing a program, you need to have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the different stops, where if you're installing a cloud, you might put your security, you might put your data, you know, and all that stuff, and you can be more random, more spatial about it, but yeah, technology really for the infrastructure pieces that we have to code or create ourselves are typically linear, and problem mm -hmm. solving are, problem solving is often linear, right, so you go from A, you know, you know, did you, you know, update your computer, you know, anything changed from the last time, you know, when it was working, you know, that, that process. So in essence, you know, there was a lot of thought that women would not be apt in, yeah. in uh, specific, specifically in information technology. So if you look at big powerhouse companies, you will see a, a lot, a lot of white men, a lot of Indian or Asian men. And when I say mm -hmm. Indian, I mean, India, uh, men uh and then all the rest so all the rest of us that come along so white men dominate the technology and maybe they dominate stem i don't know that for a fact but they dominate information technology and so how likely if you would have had a daughter would you have said come into this field because i will say that it is sexiest sexist it's racist it's homophobic it's uh ageism, mm -hmm. disability, all of those things exist in information technology every day. And I think we talked about very early on in this podcast, like some of the racist language, or as it's to say, uh, lack of DEI language that's in yeah. information technology. So had in, in the instance that you are now, if you had a daughter and what you know about information technology or or STEM, would you have suggested that she go into that field? Uh, it's, it's hard. Like, I think I would suggest it now, but it's, uh, that's not, I don't know that I would have suggested it, uh, 10 years ago. And, I, but my mom is also a listener. So I wanted to get this out. Uh, if she is listening, my mom is a math teacher, so women can what? definitely be good at math. <laughs> not, used this to be woman. A math teacher. not this woman, <laughs> maybe other women, but lots of women can be good at math. <laughs> yes. Yes. And like, I did, I would not consider myself good at math at all. Like I need to use a calculator for everything. And if I have to do something advanced with math, I will find a tool that does it where I do think that I, succeed a little bit more is like when you're talking about the pipelines and when you're talking about like putting logic to math so like I don't know that being really really great at math is good for most or a requirement for most technologists but I think you do need to like follow the math and see where it goes and so can I ask you a question about that though yes yeah, so, yeah. so you said you don't necessarily have to be good at math mm -hmm. so think about say maybe middle school. So maybe you get through first through fifth grade or kindergarten to fifth grade, but maybe middle school, you start to become, starting to become whoever you're going to become. Right. Mm -hmm. And so 
let's just say the instructor or teacher says, oh, we're going to do um, fractions today. Yeah. And depending on what you got early in education. So if you had a really strong early education, so K through five education and math skills, most girls, and, and I, I'm going back to my generation, I'm not mm-hmm. speaking by the president at all, but most girls would not have met the measure to even get complicated math. So like in high school, you have to take all these things up through calculus, if I remember correctly, math in high school. So if you didn't get the early foundations in middle school or something to help you, how do you actually become good enough at math to understand the logic of math? So if you think about going from basic math to you know algebra and all those pieces, why are they stacked that way in education? And I think it's because they're teaching you about the evolution of problem solving. I think yeah. you know, I might be wrong, but yeah, th- yeah. I think that's what it is. So when I went to college, so I didn't get my first college degree until I was 42 or 45, something like that. Um, I had to take, so my, my first year, I had to take general math and I had to take another math. I don't remember what it was. I failed both of them. I hmm. said, I failed. I got a D in both of them. Yeah. So if you have not been given the foundations of math, how do you become good at at math and ultimately information technology if you haven't followed the math to get you to the point. So if you run into a thing about in in information technology with math that requires you to dissect it. So most of what we have talked about here and specifically a lot of the things that you shared when we asked Drew um, have been coding. Mm -hmm. And typically coding has very little to do with math other than the logic of coding that follows some of the math principles. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like I think about when I think about math and this is sort of, I guess this would be a real world example of something that I struggle with would be like, so when we think about disk usage on servers, right? Like you'd never want your, your server disks to get full because then bad things happen. So knowing that your disk is going to fill up is important. And where math comes in is you have to say like, well, look back on the last X days of my disk usage and predict forward what that disk usage is going to be. And that's like a very, that's like a math algorithm, right? Like it's not, you can't just say A plus B equals C. It's got to be some, and this is, I'm going to wave my hands and say there's magic over a algorithm with math in the back that does, that does it. And the early days of technology, like you sort of had to figure that math out on your own. So I was sort of left with like Googling math books and trying to find like, how do I actually predict what this number is going to be in the future? And then technology sort of caught up with that and like made tools for it. So now if I want to do a prediction on a disk, like there's going to be a tool for it that I just feed in the data and it's going to give it to me. And I don't have to worry as much about the the math behind it. And I think a lot of that is true with encryption as well, because like almost all encryption is done using, I won't say theoretical mathematics, but mathematics that are very close to being theoretical. Uh, And like, I don't under, I understand them in an incredibly minimal amount, but I also trust the people that are like the mathematicians that are making these things to know what they're talking about and then just sort of follow their lead uh, for the tools themselves. And I'm sure statistics is a bit different because statistics, which is another like strong growing field in technology, that's going to be very math oriented, right? Like 
that's going to be math plus all of the computer science as far as like making sure you can do the math, which is a whole nother level of headaches that I don't know that I would ever be able to deal with. But as long as there were like some good tools out there and the process was mature enough, I could probably stumble through it. Um, I will say this about statistics. So I got, so I didn't take statistics in undergrad. I took statistics in uh, grad school and uh, I took all four years. And when I say four years, there was the program that I was in for my master's degree was two years of education and two years of practice. So mm -hmm. all four years, I got straight A's in statistics. Because wow. statistics, so if you think about this, like there are four main parts of statistics. So there's, you know, mean, mode, median, and then there is uh, standard deviation. So mm -hmm. if you get those four things, you can do almost anything else in, in, in statistics. So you have slopes and all kinds of other things. But if you understand those four, statistics is easy. So a lot of the statistics, statistical tools they're used in things like algorithms and all these other things are based on those four practices. And so if you know how many standard devi deviations you are from the mean, you've got your answer to your problem. So if you're designing a system for all you listeners out there and you're going to consider about statistics, think about this. So if so, let's just say if the mean is four and how many to the left or to the right are you of that deviation? And then mm -hmm. you can determine the slope and knowing the slope is more because that's where that thing that you said about earlier about understanding how much disk space you need or how, you know, it's the slope, right? And so yeah. for those of you who have done project management, it's the same thing that this is the slack. The slack and the slope are very similar. They're two different concepts, but the slack says, I'm going to decide, design a project uh, task that it's we're gonna say it's gonna take us two months to complete it, but we're gonna build in this slack. Mm -hmm. And so when you build in the slack for, you know, in case, you know, somebody's out sick, you know, somebody has an emergency or something, that you, if you promise this, your leadership that you're gonna have this done in two months, they don't, you get it too, done in two months and you look like a star because like you built in the right amount of slack. Well, yeah. determining the slope is the same concept. So how far does the slope need to go? So if you have like, and I'll use my word, DASD, for those of you who don't know, that used to be what disk driver called on mainframe. <laughs> So yeah. it's called storage these days. Uh, you don't look at it the same way, but there were these monstrous disks that could hold a major amount of data. But you're exactly right. So, you know, if the, the disk operator, again, let's go back way back when, but if the disk operator did not come and check to see how much storage had been used, it would run out and abort or tell somebody, hey, I don't have enough storage to do this, to yeah. continue this. And so those kinds of concepts are a part of the concepts that are in use today. So people had to figure out how to fix that problem of having somebody to eyeball it or yeah. make some kind of judgment as opposed to knowing specifically how much you use. But I want to go back to our yeah. conversation about fathers. So um, Father's Day is coming up soon. Happy Father's Day, Drew. Yes, thank you. you. Um, <laughs> and all the fathers out there, happy Father's Day. But the role of fathers, specifically I, STEM fathers, mm -hmm. STEM fathers in guiding their children to careers that will be successful. So police officers, firemen, you know, all, all the doctors and all these other people there, those are respected careers and, you know, people, you know, uh, you know, find their way to those kind of careers, you know, in yeah. STEM and, and, and what we do, you know, in a lot of ways, we need someone to nurture us to get there. 
we need yeah. someone to help us get to that place. At least early on, as I said earlier, typically mothers are more nurturers and fathers are more, if you will, the standard bearer. And I think that's kind of old school kind of things. I don't know if that's still the case today. Maybe yeah. mothers are the standard bearers for some families and things like that. I mean, no disrespect to any mother whatsoever, but that if you are going to help your child succeed, a part of that help has to be them understanding what you do and you explain the pitfalls and the benefits of being in those kinds of fields. So yeah. as, as a technologist, how much influence have you had in talking to your son about what his career uh, choices will be? Yeah. So we talk about it a fair amount. And uh, like for me specifically, like uh, my son doesn't have a ton of interest in going into technology. He's more interested in things like uh, uh, writing and maybe like more, uh, I won't say creative because I think technology is creative as well, but more towards the writing side of things. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Where I think that it helps, because like when I think about when I was a kid, like, and my dad being in the newspaper business and my mom being a teacher, like I had no interest in doing either of those. But I do feel like they both gave me a like an incredible amount of insight into uh, work in general that did sort of get me closer to technology. Like I talked about how, you know, my dad always had like little pieces of technology that would that he would bring home. And uh and I think that's more of what guided me as opposed to like, they don't really, neither of them really knew anything about the IT field besides that IT people are sort of annoying to work with, <laughs> I think was their <laughs> impression, which I, I can't say that they're wrong because many times it is true. Uh, but uh, yeah. And like, I find, I, I find it sort of personally hard because I don't want to, I don't want to put undue pressure on my son to go into technology if that's not something that he wants to do, right? Like, I love technology. I think technology is a great spot to be, but I don't want to like come down and be like, yo, you gotta like for real get into technology because everything else is stupid. So it's sort of a hard balance. But at the same time, every job is also going to be is going to have technology involved in it at this it. point. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, and I that what I did not mean was like telling your kids to choose a career but being a guidepost for them. So if yeah. you are, if so, if, if someone ever came to me and said, Hey, I want to do this, you know, I reached out to my contacts, you know, and I said, Hey, my son wants to do this. So he got internships, you mm -hmm. know, where I worked. And so he was able to, and then, so talking to him post those internships, Oh yeah, I still want to go that way. And I think, you know, so the job that he, the first internship he did was data and analytics. And then the second job was, cybersecurity and he thinks that's where he wants to go and i've encouraged that you know I, I support that wholeheartedly as does his father his father sends him jobs all the time when he finds technology or cybersecurity and he'll send it to yeah. like some of them like you know a full stack cybersecurity developer no he can't do that <laughs> you know? not yet that, that might be in the future but it's not right now yeah so uh i think yeah. that you know trying to encourage that what i just mean is if your child comes to you and say hey i'm thinking about following in your footsteps do you have any guidance or do you have any suggestions or i i think what you do is ridiculous i want to do something different mm -hmm. that you also provide that same feedback in other words the pros and cons of of everything so that you yeah. you have some thing and so as a father what's your greatest concern for your son in his career future Whew, that is, that's hard. I mean, I guess I mainly want him to be like 
and this is probably like a very generic answer, but I, I want him to have a job that he's happy with, that he doesn't dread going into every day. Like, uh, I've been pretty lucky as far as like, I've never really dreaded going into work, uh, except for a few like brief moments in my career, <laughs> but there's not, there's not too many. And like, I would hope that he's happy enough in whatever he does that he just enjoys it. And whether that's like computer work or writing work or writing computer stuff, like anything like that, I think is fine. Um, I think I think the scary thing is getting trapped into a job that you don't want and just sticking with it. And we've talked about that a little here as well. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah. Because a lot of times, like, it's easy to get comfortable in a job, and even if you don't like it, you can still be comfortable in it and think that that's fine. Uh, you get caught in the money. You start chasing the money now, so you lose the focus on what you want to do and what you love, especially once you have a family or you have some commitment that you Mm -hmm. have to adhere to when you get in a job, you start chasing money as opposed to fulfillment and, you know, enjoyment of the work that you do. And many of us get trapped in that where we're chasing money as opposed to, to finding our, what we, what makes us happy and what, what gives Mm -hmm. us that get up drive to get up in the morning. And I think that's why we as a society, as a whole society have so many unhappy people is because we are doing things we don't want to do in order to pay our bills or to provide for our family or whatever your circumstance is, but something like that. And I think that in a lot of instances, we have to think more carefully about how we we do things in our side. And I realized right now it's not a good time to think about that because gas is almost five dollars a gallon. <laughs> you know, you can't buy yeah. a jar of milk without it costing you $15. And I'm exaggerating about the cost of milk, but it's outrageous to go to the grocery store. If you can go to the grocery store and spend less than a hundred dollars, please email me or write to me because I like to know how to do that. I am not a, a, a bin shopper, but I swear in these new times, you can't go to the grocery store and feed, you know, if you're buying for a week. You know, oh, and yeah. I'm out of there for under $100. Yeah. When we were eating lunch, my wife was like, why are y'all eating so many chips? Those are expensive now. It's like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you it is. your chip use. <laughs> yeah. And I, I did eat a lot of chips. They were delicious. But it's one of those things, like everything now is adding up. And, you know, there's the, the old saying, like, money can't buy happiness. But, like, it certainly doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, it's uh, necessary to survive. It's yeah. absolutely. It's a tool. And it's just that a tool to help you achieve whatever you're going to try to achieve in your life or your work, what is, but we get caught in that cycle and it becomes inevitable. Like, so I think I told you this a long time ago. So every two years back in the seventies, all the way to the nineties, I would change jobs every two years to get paid Mm -hmm. more because the headhunters who would call you or recruit you would tell you about this great job you know, how it's so much better than what you have now. And you end up changing jobs, should have stayed where you were, but, you know, (laughs) chasing money. So, yeah. So so in the case where you describe about your son, you know, like, I agree, you should do what makes you happy and makes you get up in the morning and want to run to work, not just go to work, but to get there and can't wait to get there to start working. But the problem is, it's like the balance, right? And so one of the pieces of STEM and non-STEM careers, STEM careers play so much more than non-STEM careers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of us get trapped in that, you know, because I'm like your son, I wanted to be a writer. It's all I wanted to do is write, but that's not what paid the bills. Yeah, yeah. Are there any other, and this is something I've never really thought about before, but one, I guess, nice thing about the technology business is like, you know, 
there, I'm, I'm sure there are minimum wage technology jobs, but those are few. And there's Ooh. lots of like mid pay to like, I don't know that there's even really a cap on like the amount of money you could make in tech, right? Like if you want to go on a startup and get a bunch of options, however all that works, like that could be like an incredible amount of money. And I'm not sure of any other careers that really have that path, you know, like thinking about medicine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Medicine. That's start out as a nurse or, uh, uh, I don't know what you call the nurses who are not RNs, but you can start out as one of those nurses. I don't know that they have orderlies anymore. That used to be a really important word in medicine. Yeah. I don't know where that career is gone, but yeah. you know, there are some low paying jobs in, in, in other fields, but, but I think what you said about, uh, uh, technology, like, I don't think, I mean, like maybe, there's a IT job that pays 35 or less, but I just don't know because the demand is so high. Yeah. Um, and maybe those frontline people in, in technology make the less, but uh, yeah. I think that your point is a very valid point. Like you, you cannot lose going into a STEM field. The question just is, do you lose your mind? Do you lose your sense of self? when you pick one of these careers. So, you know, I knew yeah. I wanted to be an actor, but I became a technologist and you find yourself screwed up because <laughs> the actor part of you still want to act and you know, <laughs> the part of you just paying the bills said, hell no, this right here. Uh, so, that was definitely an issue for me earlier in my career, but I feel I feel like I've come to terms with that now. <laughs> peace with it. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of time, like, like you can still, and like thinking of like writing and things like that, like just because you have a career and something else doesn't mean that you can't write, but it does mean that you may be too exhausted to write if you're having an unfulfilling career at the end of the day. Like, you know, if, uh, when I was still doing theater and working, like it was hard going in and doing theater, like after a full day of like a non-fun day, <laughs> like going in and doing something that you're not really into. And then it's a nice switch to then do something that you want to do, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's very hard. And like, when I think about it now, like at the end of the day now, like, I don't want to go to like a three hour rehearsal. Like that sounds awful. And I, I would think that doing writing or something would be the same. Like, do you want to work all day and then stop working and then stare at your computer trying to like put something creative down? Like that, that also sounds very hard. Yeah, I, I think one of the interesting things I tell people this, if you know something you want to do um, in another time, like your next career or something like that, have a side hustle, have a little side hustle that 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 you can go find out if this really is what you want to do. I think yeah. that a lot of times you find that the grass isn't always greener. So, you know, this like you just said, what you described about, uh, you know, being in the uh, creative business. Right. So, you know, you've got these chores that you've got to do that can be equally as onerous as your day job or your other mm -hmm. job, you know, so the question is picking your passion. But I think instead of quitting your day job and going to do your, your passion, find out if that's really your passion, right? So do you yeah. want to do that, right? So one of the interesting things I think about now is uh, remote work. So mm -hmm. all the, every, almost every job review I've looked, I've done a lot of job description reviews for people. Everyone I've looked at has talks about the the time to commute right so how long does it take you to get to work from the time you leave your house which is a part of the piece that makes the job unfulfilling right so you are driving a half hour hour you know however long it is to get to point a to point b like those people in california 
I pray for them all the time because I don't even understand how they do that, you know, to, yeah. to go from San Francisco to L.A. or San Francisco to San Diego or to Palto yeah. Alto. Like, really? Yeah, uh, even L.A. to L.A. can be like two or three hours. Like, right. it's awful. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and the way we're growing here in North Carolina, um, we're going to see similar things like that, you know. So, you know, all these tech companies are trying to get into North Carolina. Well, welcome, come on, but you know, know that traffic is going to become even worse than it is right now. And so if you're driving from Chapel Hill to Raleigh, uh, there's a part you're going to run into a bottleneck before you get mm -hmm. there. If you're driving from Chapel Hill, from Raleigh to Chapel Hill, there's a bottleneck before you get there. So it's bad. The things that people often make the trades off is like, you know, if you go early enough in the morning or late enough at night, yeah. the traffic isn't as bad. Yep. And that's what I do is or when we were still commuting is like uh, I'm down in Holly Springs, which is like 40 or 45 minutes away from Durham. And I would uh, go to work early and come home early to try and beat the traffic. And I sort of I maybe I didn't appreciate it as much then. But like it also that commute for me gave me like a nice warm up and warm down to the day, which I sort of liked, which now that everybody's working from home, there is no like warm up or warm down. The warm up is, you know, walking from the kitchen to the desk. Absolutely. <laughs> That's it's a little bit harder mentally. Yeah. And, and I think that what we have in our expectation, expectations of work and, and work life balance is, you know, that we know how to have a work life balance. Right. So yeah. many of us don't. What you just said is, you know, on your way home, you know, you decompress from the day on your way in, you, you rev yourself up to go into work, you mm -hmm. know, managing that process. You know, so you're in the car for however many, how long you are, you get to work, you've been in a traffic uh, stall for, you know, an hour, and so now you're stressed, right? Yeah. So you're going into yeah. work and you're like, okay, you know, don't bother me for a few minutes. I need some coffee or something. That, that drive was too much. You know, yeah. so you get that place where you're a bit, you know, discombobulated, but also, you know, if you can figure out how to have a work-life balance, right? So those people who work remotely, and I, I, this is not what we're supposed to be talking about. We need to talk about work like this. But those people who work remotely, you know, so do you know how to stop work? So you go to work at old dark early and you're at work in old dark late because you don't know how to walk away. And a lot of companies talk about this work-life balance, but organizations need to get involved and help people have a work-life balance. So, you know, you know, if you work past six o'clock, you know, we're going to have to have a talk. You need to start working at six o'clock, you know, so you can get to your family, you know, see about whatever it is. And so that's important for us to do as well. And I think in the father sense of this, since STEM is so much white and male, that it's important for people that are, you know, whether they're raising their own family or mentoring or advocating for others, is to speak to, you know, what these careers mean and the trade-offs that you get for these careers, right? So, you know, while you might feel success, you wrote a program, you ran it, it did what you wanted it to do, and so all that stuff. But if you don't go home and say, hey, to your family, your dog, or something like that, and you keep writing these programs, that's why you're going to get lost in the programs, and you're going to forget to go. And that's what happens to those old, dark earlys and old, dark lates. And I was an old, dark early and an old, dark late. I worked yeah. as long as I could, you know, because I, I, I had so much to do, and there was so much pressure to get it done that I didn't have much control over my personal life. Yeah. And so I think that it's important that we work through that. And as we work through that, we, we try to help other people figure out how to work through it too. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And that's, that's something that I, I, I struggle with as well. Cause I mean, it's, it's so easy to just work, 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 work. And like when we're working from home, 
I'm, I'm very lucky that like we eat dinner sort of early at our house. So like, I know when my wife is in the kitchen, like starting, you know, getting things ready, it's about time for me to wrap up work. And I've noticed like a lot of times if she's out of town or she's not here and there's nobody like sort of, and she's not setting the line, she just happens to be, you know, getting things ready, but it's sort of, it's sort of a mental reminder. And if, if that's not happening, I just work until like, I look at the clock, <laughs> right? Like, it's just sort of, you go until you hit a wall and then it's like, oh, I've been working for like two extra hours. One other thing that I'm trying to get better at as well is like, uh, I try and just work during work hours, but there are like external hours that I'll occasionally work. And I read one tip to try and like, if you do do that, because I think a lot of times it's IT, you are you do have to get pulled in non-work hours. Like it's not great, but it's sort of the world we live in. It happens, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But what I try to remember there is like, still try and set a good example and like don't just send random emails to people at 11 p.m right because that's sort of putting out when you're sending like random emails at non-office hours you're setting an example that like you're working at these hours so why shouldn't everybody else be working and so like just sort of trying i've been trying to be sort of more mindful of that like if i am out like it's not something to be proud of necessarily. It's just something that you have to do. And you don't want to set an example that everyone else should be working at 11 as well. Um, but it's hard. I agree. I, I think that, you know, in a lot of instances, we cannot manage that process in, in specifically in information technology. I don't know if that's true throughout. Like, so if you're a doctor, you know, and you have patients, you have surgery in the morning, you might have surgery in the afternoon, but you typically they go home at a decent time. Maybe nurses don't have that, but even from what I understand, nurses work very fixed shifts, you know, mm -hmm. fixed schedules. So in a lot of STEM, people have other opportunities to go home and to not work after they're out. Like, okay, a doctor might be on call because, you know, he has patients, they have surgery or something like that. But for the most part, they even have on-call rotations. And information technology has that in a lot of careers that you have uh, on-call rotation, mm -hmm. even uh, pre-COVID and post-COVID on-call on rotations to be on-call for some period of time. So uh, the rule of thumb is not more than seven days. There are some who are on-call for 30 days. You know, I guess that's a smaller organization, but, but not more than seven days. Yeah. The, the question that I've always had is how do you pay people back for that seven days you've taken for them? So they've done their eight hours of work. They work Monday through Friday. There aren't any other issues. And now you've asked them to be. So wherever you go, you have to have your phone on you. You can't be away from your phone or some kind of access so you can read your email or respond to it or something like that. Mm -hmm. If you're on call, you know, back in the day, remember, it used to be the peep beepers. You know, people had beepers. Oh, yeah. Well, now your cell phone does all of that. So if you're on call, you know, how much how much time do you have to call right so if you're going you're taking your family to the movies and your phone goes off that there's a problem how much time do you have to call before you have to call somebody and say hey i'm here but i'm in the middle of this movie i paid 150 dollars to go to the movie so i can't afford to walk out of this movie yeah. no <laughs> no are you right absolutely and i think a lot of that and so i mean my ultimate answer is like people should be paid for being on call uh absolutely additional stipend Yes, yes, exactly. And not, uh, not part of your paycheck. So not not your regular pay to be paid for on calls. Well, we pay you. All right. You could be on call anytime. No, yeah. you provide a stipend for those hours that you're asking people to disrupt their lives yeah. in response to these problems. 
Yeah, like I had a, a previous employer and we paid, I think the on-call pay was like, for every hour that you're on call, you get like half time or something like that. And if you do get called, you get time and a half for four hours minimum. So like for us, that worked out really well because that meant like people wanted to be on call because that it was a substantial stipend every time you were on call. Great and, incentive. Yeah. And for the most part, you didn't get a call. So it was like free money, but it's not totally free because you are having to like be mentally aware this whole time. And then if you do have to go in and this was in the time before everything was remote access. So if you got a page, like it was likely that you were going to drive into the office and like press a button. But if you did have to do that, the pay went up even more and it was like time and a half or whatever. So that made a great environment where management did not want to be sending out pages uh, after hours because it was costing money. And uh like the people that were getting the pages were super happy because that was like a big chunk of change. Or if you didn't want that stress, like just don't take the money and somebody else will take your week because other people want that money. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that we, we're probably getting close to time, but I, uh, yes, I do want are. to say, you know, it's important, whoever you are, you know, I, I said fathers, but whoever you are. So whatever your role is as a part of your child's life, if you are able, you know, share what you do. Talk about the good and bad of it, you know, to your kids mm -hmm. early on in their lives, not when they're, you know, a teenager, because by then they're already blocking you out. They only hear every other word you say and it strings together to be something crazy. So, so not that, but you know, while they're still young, you know, talk about it, you know, share your thoughts and ideas about what you do, you know, you know, say, you know, I wish I had gone into, uh, 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 I've been an airplane pilot, but, you know, here I am as this, you know, all of those conversations are necessary to shape how our children see the world, you know, to, to just, just share, you know, because when they come to that crossroads in their lives and they're talking to their kids, well, my parents didn't give me any insight about how to navigate this, you know, whether they would have done another career or something like that. And I think we talked about this before because parents in my generation worked to the gold watch, right? So that was the standard. You're going to get a gold watch when you retire. Probably yeah. no money, but a gold watch, you know, so companies move from gold watches to, to retirement accounts. But, but that was the case. You know, it's important that your kids know about all of those kinds of things so that they can make, you know, important and informed decisions. Now, yeah. you, know, you could tell them all that. And they might go off and still be an airline pilot. You know, I say, I'm not, this stuff ain't for me, but, but at least they have that information so they can use it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, before, and I know we're about at time, but one thing I wanted to ask you too, is when we talk about like job switching, like I jumped around a lot uh, early in my career as well. And like, that was the only way I could really get paid more, like you said. And I think it also gave me a lot more experience. So like if I were giving advice to folks that are early in their career, I would say like, definitely don't be afraid of jumping. That can probably be said for folks late in their careers as well, but especially in your early career, like, yeah, like some, someplace else at offering you more money, like go for it. That's great. I think, that, I think the decision has to be there. So if you're working at place A, make sure when you go to place B, that it's better. You know, yeah. that old store, that old thing about the grasses and greener. So you get more money, but you have yeah. more headaches, you know, or you get more things and you find yourself no longer having control of your life. And so I, I would just say that, you know, and, and I am absolutely so. So from 1978 to 1990, 
there's no place on my resume if it went back that far. I only do the last 10 years, but if you went back, there's no place I work longer than two years. No yeah. place longer than two years. And I regret that because although I learned a lot, like, so I went, I worked for, um, um, uh, what's the company that owns NBC? I can't, GE, GE owned NBC at the time. And uh, I was in the networking division and I wish I'd stayed uh, because what I learned, what GE did subsequently after my career, after I had left them, Mm -hmm. I would have learned so much more if I would stay. I didn't, I didn't think I was paid, you know, so headhunters were called to say, Hey, we can pay you X number of dollars. Now, you know, we can get yeah. you this job. And so you go running off like a fool behind the money and you yeah. find, okay, did I really make the right decision here? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Thank you for listening to eminent Teachnology. If you like the show, please review, subscribe, and recommend us to your friends and family. We'd love to hear feedback from you as well. You can email us at eminentteachnology at gmail.com. See y'all soon.